your heart and your mind upon the Word of God. And beginning in verse 1, we'll read together. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we ask you in the name of the Lord Jesus for his glory and for our good, that you would walk and work among us today in a special way. Help us, Lord, to fix our mind's attention for just these few moments that we have left. Lord, upon your infallible, inerrant, inspired word, God, where you have revealed yourself to us and revealed to us how to live and conduct ourselves as a local expression of your eternal kingdom. And so, God, I pray this morning that you will open the blinded eyes, unstop the deaf ears, and soften the stony hearts. Lord, that if there is one here today that does not know you in a free pardon of sin, that today you would draw them and call them, convict them deeply of their sin, show them the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ, their substitutionary sacrifice, and help them to have the faith, grant them the faith and the repentance to turn away from sin so that they can place their trust in you. And God, I pray for all of your children that we would grow closer together as a body and closer especially to you, our precious Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to, I want to think about the comments that we want to make from this text this morning under the heading, Partners in the Gospel. Partners in the Gospel. Really, the heart and the thrust of these four verses will be the partnership in the Gospel. So we'll be looking for that. But I mainly have six things, six things that I want to observe this morning. And I know that sounds like a lot for me, <laughs> but by God's grace, we'll move through this text uh, rapidly. So the first three are just simply three words. And those words are this, just for your notes, thankful, prayerful, and joyful. Thankful, prayerful, and joyful. So if you look in verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And we have to understand the reason I went back and read those first two verses along with these is because we have to understand that this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a local congregation of believers. This is not a letter from one person to one other person, but from one person to many people in the congregation of the church there at Philippi. And so when we think about that, he is thinking in his prison, he's imprisoned at this time in Rome, and as he thinks about them and as he thinks about the unique relationship that he has with this local body of baptized believers, this body of believers that by the grace of God and the sovereign hand of the powerful gospel preached through the apostle Paul as he and his missionary team came up through into the European continent and the gospel found its way into the heart of Lydia and into the heart of the demon-possessed girl there in Acts chapter 16 and into the heart 
part of the Philippian jailer and their families, there was a church planted there. And Paul has a unique relationship with these people. And when he thinks about them from his prison cell, as they have sent Epaphroditus with a love gift to him, he sends back a letter saying, I love you, and here's my gift, here's my letter to you. And when he thinks about them, the first thing that we need to observe is that he is thankful for them. He's thankful for them. So we can observe, first of all, that in the context of the local church, in the relationship, the unique and special God-ordained relationship that God has given us as a body of believers brought together by the sovereign power of God, the first thing that we ought to have is an attitude of gratitude. And I wonder this morning, can we say that? And I had to pray in preparation for this. Am I truly thankful for you? Are you truly thankful for me? Are you truly thankful for each other? And that's what Paul thinks about. He says, I'm thankful when I think about the unique relationship that I have with you, a covenant community of believers, the local church. And he's thankful for the work that God has done in putting them together as he has. And so one of the realities that's going to help you and I to be truly thankful about each other in the context of a local church is to understand that God is the one who has placed each and every one of us in the body as he sees fit. Have you ever thought about that? The re- one of the reasons that I'm thankful about being here and one of the reasons I'm thankful that you're here is because I know that God is in control. I know that God has placed each one of us in the body as He has seen fit. If you'll turn with me, just for a point of reference, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. To see this real explicit in verse 18. Paul is talking about the body of Christ, which is the church. And you know that there's a church universal and there's a church local. Now, I want you to think this morning with me as we continue to uh, ponder on this thankfulness about the relationship that they have as covenant community. I want you to think about the local church as an expression of the universal church. Can you do that? Can you think about the local church being the expression, the, uh, the way of manifesting the global church of God? How do, you, how do you fulfill so many of the commandments that we find in the New Testament that involves the church? The way that you do that is not in the context of the universal church because that would be impossible. But the way that we flesh it out is through the context of a local church. And Paul says here in verse 18, if you look, But now hath God, so God's the one doing something, set the members every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. So it didn't come from Kevin. It came from God. God in his sovereign plan and his sovereign purpose has brought us together. (laughs) You say, I don't know about somebody. Yes, he has. He's brought us all together. And I don't know why you're here today, but I know this. God doesn't make mistakes. Now, I may not understand what he's doing, but God doesn't make mistakes. And so he's, he's brought us together. And if you're concerned that maybe he's talking about the universal church at this point, I would point you simply to verse 27. Verse 27. 
For Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. So he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, God has set, and, and, and you see the picture there? The picture is God, His sovereign hand, and He places each one in the body as He sees fit. So He places you in the body. He doesn't just throw you out there and you just land somewhere. No, God places you exactly where He wants you to be. And you may not understand it at the time, but you can know that God is a God who is in control and He has placed you right where He wants you. Now, Can God move me? Can God move you? Yes. But we have to embrace this fact that God in His sovereign plan and His sovereign purpose has brought us together in this unique relationship to be a local expression of the eternal global church of the living God. And when we see that, I think it will help us in our thankfulness. So in order to express this sovereign hand of God, in order to acknowledge this truth, I think this is where church membership comes in. Now, I don't have time this morning to go into all the biblical reasons that I believe someone may be asking, is church membership even a biblical concept? And I have studied this for at least two years, thinking about the context of the church, because I'm one of those kind of guys that ask questions. <laughs> do we need to do this? Is this essential? Is this what the Word of God emphasizes? Uh, what does the Word of God highlight and emphasize and command? And I believe that the way to flesh out over and over in the New Testament is to be a covenanted body of believers. That means we lock arms, and the way that we do that in a very practical sense is to become a member of a local congregation of believers. See, membership is not simply a list of names. It's not a name on a list, or else it shouldn't be. But church membership, biblical, in a biblical sense, is a covenant commitment with a local group of disciples. Say that again. Biblical church membership is a covenant commitment to a local body of disciples of Jesus Christ. In other words, this means that we acknowledge uh, that God is calling us to lock arms, if you will, for the betterment of that, of that group of believers, for the betterment of the spiritual health of the body here at Burke, and for the advancement of the gospel to the community in which God has placed us. I hope that makes sense. The way that God has called the gospel to go forth is not necessarily from individual Christians, but from groups of people that God has placed together to lock arms with each other for the advancement of the gospel, for the glory of God, and for the betterment of our community around us. So this commitment does, however, take work. (laughs) It takes work. So Paul, when he writes, he's genuinely thankful, but he's not ignoring, nor does he, uh, he doesn't ignore it. He doesn't uh, brush it to the side, the problems that the church was having. As a matter of fact, he's going to address these problems, the things that they need to be brought to their attention, the things that they need to work on, uh, the unity and so forth. Paul's going to mention that. If you want to jot it down, we're going to get to it eventually. But in chapter 1, verse 27, chapter 2, verse 2, In chapter 4, verse 2, he mentions these things that they need to work on. But Paul's attitude is one of thankfulness. That's the first word. Now, ask yourself this. Am I thankful? I'm truly thankful. 
I can say that from the bottom of my heart. Now, the second word that I want us to look at is not only thankful, but also prayerful. If you look in verse 4, he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. That's a long phrase, isn't it? (laughs) I keep looking for a comma right there, but I don't see one. Always in every prayer of mine for all of you. So he just doesn't pray for a select few, but he's praying for them all. And so this covenant relationship that we have that is in Christ this local expression of the universal church and the kingdom of God is the ground or the reason for our prayers for one another. The reason that Paul's thankful, the reason that Paul is prayerful is because of the, of the relationship that he has with this local body of believers. And so he prays for them. And although we're going to get into the content of the prayer in a future message, let me just simply say at this time that Paul is praying here for the continual growth. In other words, Paul's praying that they will be grow in sanctification, that they will grow in being set apart for God and to God, for God's glory, for the betterment of the body there at Philippi and for the community and the world around them. He's praying that they will grow up in Christ, that they will continue to grow in Christ's likeness, that they will continue to have a God-centered love for each other and live holy lives, holy lives, increasingly holy lives, so that God will be glorified and they will be the better helped. Another observation about prayer is simply this. Prayer glorifies God and it changes you. Prayer glorifies God and changes you. How does it glorify God? It glorifies God because when you bow your knees to God and you pray, what do you say? You see, you say things with your words, but you also say things with your actions, don't we? So when I bow my knees and plead with God for mercy and grace for you, that you and I will grow in God-centered love for each other, that you and I will grow in holy lives so that God's name is hallowed, is honored and glorified and prized and treasured among us and among the community around us. When I bow my knees and pray, when you bow your knees and pray for one another, you glorify God because you are showing that you are totally dependent upon Him. You tell me something that glorifies God more than trusting in Him. Nothing glorifies God more than trusting in Him, depending upon Him. When you trust me, when you depend upon me, that, that in a sense says that you're trustworthy. And God is ultimately, completely, utterly trustworthy. He is the only one that you can constantly and completely depend on for life and breath and everything. Everything that we want, everything that we want in advancing the gospel to the community around us and to the nations around us is only made possible by the grace of God. And so Paul prays for them. And not only is he thankful and prayerful, but he's also joyful in verse 4. You remember the first verse in the first lesson uh, message that we had we talked about this irrepressible joy that would just keep bubbling up as Paul writes this letter. He's in prison. He's got a lot of things going against him, 
but he's still, as he writes, it just keeps pushing up through his affections, just keep being stirred for these people because of the unique relationship that he has with him. And he's joyful. Are you joyful this morning because of your relationship with Jesus? If you're not, you are missing out. (laughs) You're missing out on what it is to be a Christian. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And what's the second? Joy. So what do you have to do? You just have to be a Christian. If you're born again, if you have the Spirit of Christ, there should be an irrepressible joy in your life. In the midst of sorrow, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, there's an irrepressible joy that comes up because of all that God is for you in Christ, all that He's promised to be. Wow, there's joy. But Paul actually gives the reasons why he's joyful. And we find that first one in verse 5. And this is the main, this is the heart of the message this morning. Verse 5. For, so what does that mean? The little word for, that means because. I'm thankful, I'm prayerful, I'm joyful for. Because your fellowship, this is a word we want to focus on, in the gospel from the first day until now. So just for your notes, partnership in the gospel. There it is. The word there that we're looking for is a word we've already kind of looked at in our communion service from 1 Corinthians. But the ground the ground of Paul's thankfulness, the ground of his prayerfulness, the ground of his joy is the partnership that he has with the church at Philippi. The partnership that he has. The fellowship that he has. And this is going to have a great impact upon us as we realize that the ground for our fellowship is the partnership that we have in the gospel. And what does that mean to partner in the gospel? Let me ask you this before we get into that. Why do you come to church? Do you come to get psychological needs met? Do you come to get emotional needs? Do you come for social needs, for meals together? Is that fellowship? If we have a meal together, is that biblical fellowship? It can be. But I would hate to think that that's all that we think biblical fellowship is, biblical partnership is. Do we come um, to play, to sing, to teach, to connect with others? What is it that ties us together? What is it that brings people out of different backgrounds, out of different circumstances, out of different situations that would never have normally come together? What is it that has brought us together? What is the ground of our fellowship? And Paul says explicitly here that our fellowship is in the what? The gospel. Partnership in the gospel. And the word here is the word koinonia. Koinonia. And the word means to share. Remember that from 1 Corinthians 10? When it, was, when it was related to the communion supper, the Lord's supper, it meant that we share in the benefits that was purchased through the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. Nobody even said, thank you, Jesus. Wow. To be a sharer, to to have this koinonia, this fellowship in the gospel is to first and foremost be connected to Jesus Christ and His work of redemption on the cross. Can you say that this morning? 
Because by just by being a human being, just by being an American, doesn't mean that you are a partaker of the benefits that was purchased on the cross of Calvary. No, my friend, the only people that are sharers, that are partakers in the gospel, that are a part of not only the redemptive work, but the work of carrying it out to the nations, are the people who have, by faith, turned away from sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. Have you done that this morning? Have you left the fields of sin? Have you realized that life is going nowhere fast apart from Jesus? If you have and you've turned away from your sin and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then you are in partnership with Christ. You have been unified with Jesus and His redemptive work now counts for you. His blood was shed. His body was broken so that you could be forgiven of your sins and given the gift of eternal life and an eternal relationship with God. And when you do that, you become a partner with God and with a local body of believers and with the greater church all over the world to advance the gospel to the nations of the world. And not only to advance the gospel, but to defend it and to preserve it in this world. Does that make sense as to why we keep meeting every Sunday as a church? (laughs) That is the ground of our fellowship. It's not because we like to do the same things. It's not because we have the same ideas all the time. It's because of Jesus Christ. If He's your Savior, He's mine. And if He's united you to Him, my friend, He's united all of us to each other. And that's grounds for thankfulness, prayerfulness, and joyfulness. So it's not just a social club. It is a partnership that's rooted in a common unity and eternal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is a self-sacrificing commitment to a shared vision. A self-sacrificing commitment to a shared vision. That is the gospel. The gospel is the shared vision. Go into all the world, Jesus said, and proclaim the gospel to every creature, baptizing them. You heard it in the song, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I am with you. I am with you. Teach them all things that I have commanded you. This is our shared vision. And it takes self-sacrifice on your part and my part to be committed continuously to this vision of the gospel work. So we've all been united together in one body, and the charter of the church, the mission of the church, is to proclaim the glorious good news of the gospel, the redemptive work that is in Christ Jesus, and live a holy life that will cause people to see that God's hand is not short, that God's hand is not weak, but God is mighty to save, and He will radically transform you from a sinner to a saint. He will take you from a person who is in rebellion against God, who doesn't love the things of God, who doesn't love the people of God, to a person who loves God and wants to obey God and wants to lift His name up to the world. I can remember the transformation in my life, and it's just like flipping on a light switch. There He comes. Beautiful. Glorious. 
mighty to save with an outstretched arm, willing, willing to send His only begotten Son to die on the cross, to shed His innocent blood, not for His own sins, but for yours and for mine, so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could know Him and make Him known to the nations of the world. That's why we have VBS. <laughs> That's why we gather here every Sunday. Because we love Jesus. And we want to see Him exalted. Do you want to see Jesus exalted? When Jesus is lifted up, are you happy? That's what makes Paul happy. That's what makes Paul thankful. That's what makes Paul joyful. Because I'm in a partnership with you in the gospel. Now, there's one other connotation of this word koinonia, this Greek word that I need to express to you today, and that is this. It is not only a unity in a shared vision, but it also has the idea of being in a business partnership with each other. And so that means like if I wanted to buy a fishing boat, my friend wanted to buy a fishing boat, we wanted to go into a fishing business, we'd buy a boat together, and then when we would partake, we would share in the benefits of that business. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is our charter. The gospel is our mission. And we are partnering together. And the Philippian church does not just uh, send prayers, but they also send uh, help, aid, financial aid and help to partner with Paul in getting the gospel out even while he's in prison. And it's important to notice that he says that you have done this in verse 5. How? From the first day until now. So in other words, if you talk to someone and they say, well, what about your partner? And you say, oh, we split up. That's not good, is it? But Paul says, from the first day that you were converted, you were locked in with Jesus Christ, and you were locked in with me, and you have supported me prayerfully. You have supported me financially. You have supported me by sending Epaphroditus into my life and helping me and encouraging me in prison. And we need to remember that. The fellowship that we have as Christians is deeper than a meal together. It is so much the more needed as we face persecution, as we face trials and difficulties in life together. That's the way it's supposed to happen. When one weeps, we all weep. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. We're a body. We're a family. We're a building of God. You may not know it today, but when you give to this local church... 10% of our budget goes to support the advancement of the gospel all over the world. 4% of our budget goes to support local our local association right here in our city and the surrounding area. And 3% of our budget goes to our own church efforts to advance the gospel right here in specific ways. Not to mention how we gather from week to week and the evangelism that goes forth and the prayers that go up that God will grant grace and mercy. When you give to the missions offerings that we take up, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, when you, when you give to that, you're supporting over 5,000 U.S. And, Can and Canadian missionaries. When you give to the uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that goes to support almost 5,000 international missionaries all over the world. This is a partnership in the gospel. We partake and share in the benefits of the cross, and we partake and share in getting it out 
to the nations of the world who desperately need to hear it. So he's joyful because of their partnership in the gospel. He's also joyful because of the process of the gospel. The process of the gospel. If you look in verse 6, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. The partnership that we have in the ministry and the conformity of Christ is a process. And Paul says, you're continuing from the first day until now. You haven't given up. And God hasn't given up on you. Are you glad of that? Did you know that the ground and the assurance and the surety that you are going to keep on, keeping on for Christ in this text is not your effort but the sovereign hand of God. As sure as God is God, He who has begun to form Christ in you, He who has changed you in your heart is going to continue to work in you, to change you for the glory of God and the sake of souls until the day of Jesus Christ. So there is a process. And this is another reason to pray for one another. Because I'm in process you're in process. So don't, don't get too quick to cast stones at each other because we're all in process. And if there's a process, then finally, and this is the last one, just for your notes, if there's a process, then there's a pinnacle of the gospel. A pinnacle of the gospel. Verse 6, again, he says, if he, he who begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is the day that you and I have been waiting on. It's the day that Jesus Christ will return. It's been said that our journey will not be complete until we bow at Jesus' feet. It's a process. And the hope of the Christian faith is not that we are going to be in some kind of disembodied experience in some kind of floaty place somewhere, you know. But it's the, it's the return of Jesus Christ. It is the consummation of our transformation into His likeness. To be given a glorified, imperishable body and to be in a kingdom where peace and joy and righteousness abound forever and forever and forever. Are you looking forward to that this morning? I am. Looking forward to seeing Jesus. Looking forward to being away with this old sinful nature. To being away from sin. To being away from sorrow. To being away from everything that defiles. And being in, a, in the in a perfect place with a perfect body that will never grow old so that we can perfectly glorify, magnify, and honor Jesus Christ who died for us. Let me ask you this morning, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? It may be that even today your, your heart says, ooh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a partaker of the benefits of the cross. I don't know for sure. Well, God wants you to know. And so he convicts you of your sin. Then he shows you the beauty of Jesus. Do you see Jesus 
as the infinite treasure of the universe, more valuable than anything else? Do you see him there as a substitutionary sacrifice, dying for your sins in your place, so that now all you have to do is simply cry out to God and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my trespasses. Come into my life and make me the person that you want me to be. Will you do that this morning? Let's pray. Father, I ask you today, Lord, to add the increase to your own glory of the preached word. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for my church family. God, I thank you that you have placed us, you have set us in the body as you have seen fit. And I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that it would manifest the love that you have, that it would manifest the joy that you have, the peace that you have, and that you have given to us. And God, I pray, I pray that you would continue to work in process, partnering us in the gospel. Continue to give, continue to go, continue to pray. Give us strength, give us joy in serving that you may be magnified, that your name would be hallowed in all the earth and that other people would become partakers of the benefits purchased at Calvary. Help them to come today. Help them to come. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.